Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour. This summer, keep up to date on the day's news with Up First, the morning news podcast from NPR. In just 10 minutes, Up First gives you a quick morning update on the news you need to start the day. Wake up with Up First tomorrow morning on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'm Linda Holmes. Lake Bell is the director and writer and stars in the new film, I Do Until I Don't. It's about three couples who get mixed up with a documentarian who wants to make a documentary arguing that marriage should be a seven-year commitment with an option to renew. As was 2013's In a World, her comedy about a voiceover artist who was one of the few women in a field dominated by men. The new film is also smart and funny. I liked it a lot. Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour Lake Bell. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I liked the movie very much. Uh, Producer Jessica can vouch that I I sent her a note and I said, this movie is really this movie is really charming. It is about marriage. And there are sort of three marriages in it. There's the marriage that's that's uh, between you and Ed Helms and the one that is Amber Heard and and Wyatt Snack and the one that's Mary Steenburgen and, and Paul Reiser. Are they thematically linked marriages to you or is it just three sort of stories of marriage? You know, I mean, I certainly can't write anything that I don't know intimately in some capacity. Um, and and really, these are just three representations of committed relationships that I wanted to explore or needed to explore for my own, you know, sanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I started writing the movie when I was more of actually the the Vivian character, the documentarian, because as you were saying, yes, it, the movie does follow three couples, but it is sort of captured through the lens at certain points um, of this pretentious documentarian who who sort of like descends her sort of thesis, uh, negative, pessimistic view of marriage on these three couples. And um, I was more of a Vivian, basically, when I started writing the movie. I, I thought that... You know, the institution of marriage was somewhat archaic and like, what are we all doing at this point? I mean, we live to like nearly 90 years old. I think it's kind of a tall order to say till death do us part. I mean, are you kidding me? And um, that was my very unromantic view of marriage. And then secretly, obviously, I fantasized about being proven (laughs) very wrong. Uh And so enter Scott Campbell, my husband, who totally just like just obliterated all of my feelings about it being not worthwhile. I le- I've learned so much, so uh, a tremendous amount from Scott, that it is so much braver to f- jump full force into commitment and to meet someone eye to eye, you know, so that you can look in the mirror and get of a relationship and really get called out on your stuff. And really, I mean, let's be honest, the privilege of being with someone is to evolve and to grow, you know? So you can't really grow if you're never called out on your stuff, you know? Ultimately, this this movie, and that's not a spoiler or anything, that no. it ends up deeply happy, you know? And uh, it is pro-commitment and that every relationship really does deserve a chance. It doesn't, you don't have to stay together forever or anything, but you get, the effort is, I think, imperative. Yeah. What is the hardest part of a film? If you take the entire process of making a film like In a World or like this one from the kind of beginning of it all the way through until it comes out, what part of that process is the most challenging when you have a whole bunch of different parts that you're playing, so to speak? Yeah. I think that it's not one thing. The most difficult part of it is the all the things. (laughs) Right, right. I'm like a perfectionist. I don't 
you know, I can't just like phone it in. I have to. I think that's why the hardest part of this making this movie was being a mom for the first time to a one and a half year old whilst taking on this stuff of dreams to make your second feature. You know, it's like. I don't want to even be a mom, you know, half-heartedly. I want to be a great mom. You know, I want to be as good as I can be, but then also be a great filmmaker. And that that juggle was, I was very hard on myself. And, you know, there were a lot of, like, tears and, you know, private moments of feeling overwhelmed or super stressed, you know. And, and there's a big rush, you know, of and and chaos and the hurricane and the beautiful chaos of production that then sort of funnels down into something a little more calm in post-production, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like the place that you are in your career in filmmaking is such that that you have the freedom to make these films so that they come out roughly the way that you imagine them? You know who the director is, you know where to find the writer. But there are always other people who are involved and you have to finance them and all that stuff. Have you been able to translate this, particularly this one and in, in, in a world, sort of to the final kind of stage the way that you envisioned them? I mean, absolutely. I feel very lucky that the people I've collaborated with in a you know, in financing and in distribution have always been inc- incredibly trustworthy and supportive of the story I want to tell. Has it been hard to find that in projects that you didn't have so much control over? Is it hard to find that kind of fulfillment when you're not running as much of the project yourself? I mean, it's just a different beast. You know, it's like if I come on, you know, I went to, I directed two episodes of of Casual, uh, the TV show Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. year. I love the actors in it, and I love the the aesthetic and tone. And so it was just fun to kind of be an act, a director for hire in that capacity and fulfilling myself in a different way, which is like, oh, I'm going to stick to the parameters of a visual tonal sense. But, you know, it was like a little dr- a director's challenge, you know, to put my stamp on it with, with, with still maintaining the nature of the storytelling of that show. So, so you know, it's a different uh, feeling of fulfillment, but, but equally exciting. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask you about In a World because, uh, you know, when that film came out, we actually did a whole episode about voiceovers kind of inspired by that film. And yeah. we talked about the movie, but we also talked about a bunch of stuff with voiceovers. What was your fascination with voiceovers? I have always had an unabashed obsession with (laughs) accents and dialects and voice and how it represents us and how, you know, voiceover is the the one kind of acting or performing that doesn't judge you by your visual countenance or, you know, what you bring to the table in a visual sense, which everything else in the world does, you know. So I think there is something deeply freeing and... Um, non-judgmental about um, using your voice as a tool in that capacity. That said, you know, I am really interested in the voice and the stories that it tells just based on its sound and its resonance and, you know, what it makes you feel and, and how it represents someone. You know, I globally and socially, I think, uh, you know, the way that media works is that there's this sense that an omniscient voice, a voice of authority and a voice of power is always a male's voice, you know, male voice. And what that was about and kind of to um, unpack 
you know, why if, you know, a female voice is on a commercial to sell something that it's often, you know, uh, the voice of seduction or, you know, whatever it is versus an, a, a voice of authority, which mm-hmm. is usually what the male, the male voice is. It's funny that you say people can be less judgmental or I guess I would say differently judgmental because I think on radio, particularly I think most women who work in radio have had somebody tell them that they talk wrong, that their your voice right. sounds wrong. You talk like, a, you know, I don't trust you. You don't sound authoritative. You sound too young. And not just the women who I mean, I know you have you've talked about the kind of the baby voice thing. But even outside of that, I think most sure. women in radio have had people tell them their voices are unacceptable for some reason. Yeah. And I mean, look, there, I, I do admit that there is judgment as well. It's just coming at it from an actor's point of view. <laughs> right. Um, you know, when you walk in a room and, you know, or you, you're perfect for the role, but, you, you know, your hair is too blonde or your hair is too brown or, you know, you're too tall, you're too thin, you're too fat, you're too, you know, you're too whatever, you know, or you're not ethnic enough or you're too ethnic or whatever. You know, it's like this is you know, it's just that is a very frustrating existence. And look, even as you walk in the door for a job interview and they'd be like, oh, you know, I just don't it, it's not going to work for me because mm-hmm. they just remind me of my my aunt Sue or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And in voiceover, I've always just because I enjoy changing my voice a lot. And I feel like in voiceover, I can be an elephant. I could be a snooty British politician. You know, I I mean, there's so much that you could do without the visual um, limitations, I should say, rather than judgments, you know. But yes, I think in radio, you're you're right. I don't know. You're speaking probably from experience as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that thing when they say, oh, that women (laughs) like it sounds annoying or whatever, because I did hear back from a lot of people where there was like, well, women can't sell goods like and be the authority in selling goods because Sometimes women are perceived, a female voice is perceived as nagging, like, and then men won't. It sounds like people's wives telling Uh them to do something, Uh right? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I was like, what is wrong with this society? You know, Uh so that was a big old bummer. Um, I was like, we have a lot of work to do, you know. Um, But look, I had a total in a world moment uh, where art imitated life where I got to be the voice as the first female voice for Apple in their ad campaign for the iPhone 6S, which was the coolest thing I've ever done, (laughs) like, to date. So they renewed my contract. It was a really beautiful moment. And I was up against all men, you know. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it was was a very cool uh, victory. What does an Um, Apple selling voice sound like? Well, it was basically... The voice, you know, it was like just Apple, your... you know, it was like the iPhone 6S, you know, yeah. it's just like a cooler version of myself. <laughs> the one thing I do notice that I do, and admittedly, because I'm very, I'm acutely aware of my voice, is that I lower it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm talking to my husband or, you know, I might be up in this register where I'm a little bit softer. And if I'm talking to my daughter, I'm sort of here. And then when I'm talking about work, I have a, a more resonant and more um, sort of articulated and yeah. lower register. Yeah. I was really sorry. I was realizing the other day that when I ask people for things, especially strangers, I tend to talk higher. I tend to say, of course, yes. I tend to sort yeah. of say like, 
oh, I'd like this, please. Thank you very much. And I heard myself do it. And I was like, this is just, this is nuts. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. We all have these funny uh, vocal quirks. And I'm so into it. Like in England, specifically, um, because I went to drama school in England, and I have, you know, spent a lot of time there. And there, you know, in English, people tend to, when they say goodbye on the phone, they always um, go up like three octaves. Yeah. (laughs) So you say like, um, all right, yeah, it was really, really good. Talk- you know, it's great talking to you. And all right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but um, all of my friends do that. And I'm just like, what is up with the bus? Like, where are you going with that? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I-, I lived in um, Minnesota for a few years and I did customer service on the phone. And I developed a very strong Minnesotan accent when I <laughs> when I was doing customer service, because especially if you're delivering bad news. Oh, um, yeah. A Minnesota accent that's, you know. Softens um, the blow. It does. <laughs> it's people that you just tell the person like, oh, I'm really sorry. You're going to have to um, resend that receipt. <laughs> I know. It's really frustrating. I and, know. And people, <laughs> people take it better, you know. I totally know what you're talking about. I have a Midwest thing that I throw on sometimes to my, my daughter when I'm softening the blow as well. For no reason. I'm from New York. I don't even know why. <laughs> like, it's not even allowed to do that. But, um. I'm like, I know, I know. It, does, it sounds, it sounds sorry. It sounds, yeah. It sounds, it sounds soft. Yeah. There's a softness to it. It's true. Yes. Well, I, I am so glad that we could have this conversation, and I really, uh, I really enjoyed the movie, and uh, I do until I don't. Is uh, by Lake Bell, directed by Lake Bell, starring Lake Bell and a bunch of other wonderful people, and it is in theaters now. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for the support. I appreciate it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Talenti. When making Talenti Gelato and Sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous, like accidentally breaking their raspberry sorbetto machine with too many raspberries, or trying 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato. Talenti's obsessiveness is what makes Talenti Gelato and Sorbetto great. Talenti, the delicious is in the details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from WordPress.com. Creating your website on WordPress.com helps your customers find you, remember you, and connect with you. At WordPress.com, you'll find hundreds of beautiful designs, the ability to add a custom domain name, and features to make your business more visible online. Using the technology that powers 28% of all websites, get 15% off your new website today at WordPress.com slash happy hour. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. We have back in the studio with us Marissa LaRusso and Sarah Ventry, who were here to talk about the VMAs this week. And they're going to help us out with our segment, What is Making Us Happy This Week? But let's start with Stephen Thompson. Stephen, what's making you happy this week? Well, over the weekend, I got a chance to blow through season three of Catastrophe. Oh, nice. Uh, We've talked before uh, on this show about how much uh, we love it. I love the way that Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan, who who do this show, they come back for these little six-episode seasons. And about every year, you get to check in with them as if you're checking in with your old friends. It really feels at this point, after three seasons, like you're taking three hours, because that's really, that's all it takes to plow through a season of the show, to just like hunker down on the couch and revisit your old buddies Rob and Sharon. I thought this season was lovely. It culminates in an episode that is clearly one of the final performances by Carrie Fisher as Rob Delaney's mother. And they really allow her to do a bunch of comedic work and a bunch of dramatic 
dramatic work in a way that I found really beautiful and and powerful. And I just I just love the way that I know that in 2018, at some point, I'm going to spend a, a few hours out of another weekend just revisiting these these really nice, interesting, weird, funny people. How wonderful. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Sarah Ventry out there in California, what is making you happy? I recently had to go on a uh, road trip for for work. I was doing some reporting in the far reaches of way northern Arizona slash southern Utah. And part of my drive took me through the Navajo Reservation. And so I was listening to the radio and I was trying to find kind of just what stations came in. And I came across this incredible radio show that turns out is a public radio show that I had never heard of before. Uh, It's called Undercurrents, and it is part of the Native American radio network. And it was this really beautiful mix of like, I think I heard kind of like a Norwegian folk song paired back to back with a Southern American Southern sounding rootsy song. Uh, and then in the middle was like an interview with someone talking about programs on the Navajo reservation for youth workers. So it was this really kind of gorgeous mix of things from all over the world. And it was really beautiful music uh, and it, you can stream it online. So that's Undercurrents. Yes, you can find it at undercurrentsradio.net. All right. Thank you very much, Sarah Ventry. Marissa LaRusso, what's making you happy this week? Uh, this week, I am being made happy by an album by the band Brand New called Science Fiction. Um, Brand New was like an emo band from the early, mid-2000s that kind of started as one of those like hot topic pop punk <laughs> bands that I loved as a teen and kind of quickly surpassed that and put out a bunch of records that were really interesting indie rock really thoughtful and beautiful and then they disappeared for about eight years they would put out music here and there they would kind of tour but they just had this legion of fans waiting for whatever they were going to do next and a couple weeks ago they dropped a surprise album called science fiction and i think nostalgia plays a pretty big role in why i love this so much but it's also just a really beautiful and interesting album it sounds a lot more mature than their older stuff but it also kind of just maintains everything that makes the band an interesting and influential emo band. And it doesn't sound like something that a band that put out great records 10 years ago is putting out. It sounds like something that a good band in 2017 is putting out, which was a really pleasant surprise. So I'm really happy about it. All right, tell me again what it's called. It's called Science Fiction by Brand New. Thank you very much. All right, what is making me happy this week? I've been finishing up my move out of my old apartment, and while doing so, I have been marathoning Seasons of Roseanne, which has now turned up on Amazon Prime, which uh, it wasn't on for a long time. We have talked before about the influence of that show in terms of its treatment of class and the fact that it was one of the only shows where you could find a family that had things happen, like the electricity got shut off and they had to give up things and they couldn't do things and that caused tension in the family. But what I really noticed this time around was um, how much attention they paid to the individual relationships between the parents and the kids. In the 80s, and you know, Roseanne started in the fall of 87 uh, or 8, and I think that in the 80s, a lot of family sitcom stuff grew out of the Cosby show 
And the innovation of the Cosby show in terms of the parents and kids was very much the pushing back against kind of wiseacre kids and the comedy of the parents sort of saying, like, nobody cares about you. You're going to listen to me. This is my house. And people finding that refreshing. I think what they do on Roseanne is kind of, you know, you get more of the parents really worrying about whether they're close to their kids and worrying about whether they have good relationships with their kids. And there are some really lovely episodes about that both early on and then later when Becky runs off and gets married. There's Mm -hmm. some very painful stuff between her and her father about how he feels about her her decision making in that area so I've really been enjoying it so again you can find that right now for the moment on Amazon Prime and they are as you probably know bringing that show back for a a bit for another run so that is what is making me happy this week you can follow all of us on Twitter you can follow me at NPR Monkey C you can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen you can follow Sarah Ventry at Sarazona that's S-A-R-A-Z-O-N-A-H you can follow Marissa LaRusso at M-R-S-S S-L-R-S-S. That's just no vowels, isn't it's it? No vowels, exactly. Oh, man. All right. Uh, you can find our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy, and our producer, Emeritus, and music director, Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif, K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides our in and out music that you're tapping your foot to right now. Thanks to you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you right back here next week. Thank you.